For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to fade the chalk. Fade the chalk. Presented by the FTN Network. Helping you win your fantasy leagues and dominate in DFS. And now, here are your hosts, Derek Brown and Adam Pfeiffer. It is time. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Fade the Chalk podcast, presented, of course, by the FTN Network. My name is Adam Pfeiffer. It is week two, the DFS game-by-game episode. My favorite episode each week to record and to break down all 13 games on Sunday's main slate. I have a fantastic guest. It's John Daigle from NBC Sports Edge, co-host of A Good Football Show, doing a ton of great stuff over at NBC Daigle, what's up, man? Appreciate you coming on again. Uh, how was your week one, and how's the how's the grind so far? It's only been a week, but it feels like probably like five. Yeah, we say week one. It's actually week two, but week one for us in the industry because it's the first week we have legitimate, authenticated data. And so that means we also have to sort through everything. Like people can go on TV or whatever radio shows and say, wow, week one is so wacky and wild. Whereas it's our job to explain why it was wacky and wild. And if that wildness continues on, which makes it even tougher in week one, because as we know, there are only so many things you need to adjust. If anything, you need to adjust. You have to figure that out. So it has admittedly been a long week that walloped me over the head. Uh, I am still getting into my regular season routine, but nonetheless, very happy, very grateful. And I think I have this slate sorted out to where I'm comfortable with it. That doesn't mean I'm going to win, but I'm pretty comfortable. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, I we all thought we were going to win with the, the Tennessee stacks last week, and uh, their offense just completely fell apart. So hopefully... I- yeah, I had I had some of that. I mean, even I had a lot more Buffalo Steelers and like none of none of them mm-hmm. got there. Uh, you know, on the DFS building block show every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, by the way, I will be out this week, but we'll be back again for the rest of the season. That so you can watch it with Kyle Dvorak and Jenny Carter this week. We even put people on the Seahawks offense. So that worked out well. But then when you had the pivots later in the afternoon, uh, for instance, before kickoff, before even the noon slate started, I had Donovan Peoples Jones in my flex with the Beckham news. And I thought I played it to a T whenever right. Beckham officially got ruled out. But it turns out that DPJ routes just don't matter. And apparently Schwartz is going to get all the air yards and deep targets. So, again, like you could have the process right, but it really doesn't matter in the end. We still need the results. Yeah. And obviously, like the the pricing was super soft last week because the, the slate came out, you know, months ago. And, you know, week two, the pricing is still kind of soft. So we'll talk about it. There's a lot of interesting price tags on players. Um, and we got 13 games. So let's get right into it. Starting with Buffalo and Miami, uh, the Bills offense. 
obviously took a step back in week one. Tough matchup, though. The I, I, like the the pressure rate was insane for the Steelers. Not that that's shocking given the the, the makeup of their defense, but like. Josh Allen was under pressure on like 40% of his dropbacks. I would expect things to be better here in Miami. Um, what are your thoughts on this game? Injury news-wise, other than Wolf Fuller will be back from suspension, though he didn't practice, I believe, today. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. And then Gabriel Davis, when the ankle didn't practice, I believe, on Wednesday. I haven't seen Thursday yet. Um, and then other than that, we'll see if Zach Moss is also a healthy scratch or not. That was rather surprising. Uh, let's start with the Bills, though. Like, are you worried about their offense? Was it a one-week thing? And and could could we go back to them in a potential you know overlooked GPP stack of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs? I didn't ju- adjust a single thing uh, last year. Even in their matchup with the Steelers, the Steelers stifled them in the first half they played, Bingo. and then the Bills ran a lot more no huddle in the second half. But either way, the Steelers just know how to match up with Josh Allen. Uh, after finishing third overall in blitz rate last year, the Steelers actually just blitzed Allen one percent of the time in Week One, literally a league low rate. Whereas Miami in Week One blitzed at the league's second highest rate, perhaps because they played a rookie quarterback in Matt Jones and thought that was the best approach. But overall, we've also seen last year, uh, Allen averaged 10.6 yards per attempt against the Dolphins, including the last time we saw him in that final game where he played three quarters and got pulled. So the Bills offense, I believe they are going to exceed their team total and no doubt one of my favorite double stacks of the week. You mentioned also on the Dolphins side of the ball, I hope Fuller's healthy and I hope it then renders Jalen Waddle's roster percentage way down because that's the player I want to have in my run back. Just having ran 75% of his routes from the slot and more importantly, had concerted usage. They actually schemed up plays for him and ran the offense through him. And if we get Fuller back as a presence that the Bills need to be aware of on the boundary, I feel like that's even better for Jalen Waddle getting open in the middle of the field. So I am definitely looking at Allen double stacks with the Waddle run back. Yeah, and it's interesting, not that it's too shocking, but if you watched the Bills, especially last week, they just targeted Levi Wallace, who I think is a fine corner, but obviously you're not throwing to Trey White a ton. And Levi's like Levi Wallace is like a solid corner in terms of like he's rarely out of position and he makes good tackles, but his ball skills are not great. He had a couple of deep defensive pass interferences in this game. So like we're gonna probably continue to see teams go at Levi Wallace. And if that's the case, I don't think Trey White, you know, Trey White doesn't really shadow. So he's not going to shadow Parker Fuller. He's going to be kind of all over. So like there's going to be situations for um, Jalen Waddle definitely to have, you know, an opportunity against Levi Wallace. Um, and I agree. Like, I, I love Josh Allen and Diggs. Um, people are going to be off them. But if you look at the advanced like passing numbers for Josh Allen, this offense from week one against Pittsburgh and then last year against Pittsburgh, they're nearly identical. The difference is, like you said, you, they were getting they were getting defenders in Josh Allen's face on four man and three man rushes. Like any quarterback is going to struggle in that when you have more defenders dropping back in coverage, it's still getting pressure. So I love Josh Allen in tournaments. Um, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders had a ton of air yards in week one, uh, probably should have had a touchdown. Josh Allen just missed him. He's four K still operated as the clear wide receiver three. Um, this team ran four wide, like 40 plus percent of the time in week one, easily the highest rate in the NFL. But if Gabriel Davis is out, I mean, it's going to be just mainly three wide. And, you know, Davis is a really reliable end zone target for Josh Allen. So if he were out, like Sanders would get a a bump at 4K, I think would be viable. And then the backfield, like, do we think Zach Moss is a healthy scratch again? I think Sean McDermott after the game said it was kind of like a numbers thing. Um, You know, Singletary didn't have, you know, terrific numbers, but the opportunities were there, right? Played 64 of 85 snaps. 
had 14 touches, ran a ton of passing routes against a Miami run defense. That's not great. I mean, they gave up over 100 yards to Damian Harris last year. They were among the league leaders in, in like 10 and 20 yard runs allowed. And they gave up, I think, four 10 plus yard runs to the, to the Patriots. Would you have any interest in Singletary? No, I, I just don't play Bills running backs. I don't draft yeah, Bills fair. running backs. I don't play them. Uh, again, like everyone thinks, oh, I'm getting a back and a great backfield. But the issue is the the Bills offense is great because of what they do. Just in passing at the league's second highest rate and neutral game script last year, uh, Allen even in the final preseason game, 26 pass attempts on his 33 snaps in the first half. It's just if the Bills running backs touch the ball, that means they are not that good of an offense that you think you're getting. So the offense gets worse. It's still above average because they have talented players, but it gets worse when Singletary or Zach Moss get the ball. So not the guy, not the kind of guys I really play. I would be interested to see what percentages Cole Beasley and Sanders come in because to your point, Sanders ran just three routes fewer than Cole Beasley, but he still got five fewer targets and finished with just one fewer air yard than Stefan Diggs. And so with that 18 and a half a dot as the team's deep threat, that's something I'm very interested in because there are a lot of air yards as you'll you know, find out throughout the weeks coming up that get miscited. Uh, they're, they're called air yards, but like even someone like Anthony Schwartz, I kind of consider it just prayer yards, which are just like the <laughs> off inefficient air yards that don't matter. Like DJ Shark, Jerry Judy last year, it didn't matter if they had 300 air yards per week because they were getting them from Drew Locke, right? Or they were getting them from Mike Glennon. And so like, Emmanuel Sanders' air yards are different because they're Josh Allen. We trust those. And so if he's going to come in significantly less rostered than Cole Beasley, of course I'm double stacking Sanders instead of Beasley with Diggs. Yeah, I, I like the call a lot. And we'll, and like even if Gabriel Davis is active, it doesn't really matter. Like You can still easily play Emmanuel Sanders, who was clearly running as the third option. Um, and I think the Bills passing offense, they, they get back on track here. I agree. I like, I like them over their total. Um, for Miami, you mentioned Waddle. Like, I'm not really on this team. I'm not on the running backs. Like, Gaskin was the lead back, but he like Malcolm Brown and Savon Ahmed still played a decent amount of snaps. Mike Jasicki snaps were way down. He played behind Durham Smythe, and his routes weren't even that great. And now you potentially bring Will Fuller into the offense. Anybody on Miami, Miami interest you other than when you mentioned uh, Jalen Waddle? If someone wants to play Will Fuller. I obviously don't have an issue with that because he's mm-hmm. Will Fuller. We don't know how he's going to be in a new scheme. Like if he qualifies as the level of receiver like Stephon Diggs and Hopkins last year that can change teams and it just doesn't matter because they're that good. We generally don't know if Will Fuller is that player. Uh, I have faith he is because he was even a great college prospect out of Notre Dame, but we don't know just yet. So if someone threw him in, that's fine. But other than that, not really anyone else. And for redraft leagues in my waiver wire column, NBCSportsEdge.com every Tuesday, uh, also, I updated overnight on Tuesday, and then for Wednesday for deeper leagues, since FFPC, NFFC, they all run in high-stakes league waivers on Wednesday night. I have Jasicki on the drop list. Uh, that was the worst-case scenario yeah. for Jasicki because that came without Will Fuller. Just for his target share and route run percentage to dip without Fuller is insane, and it was always a concern since he's been top two at his position and slot rate the past couple of years. But now they have Waddle, who they invested much more draft capital into to play that position. And so like Jasicki's really someone I'm just going to avoid all year long, most likely, unless something drastic happens along the way with his usage. Yeah, I had zero. Like, I didn't understand the hype around him in in redraft season. So like, yeah, I, I'm and seeing that in week one just kind of solidifies that. But we're going to talk about another tight end that uh, that I appear to be wrong about. So we'll talk about that. that's a little teaser for the four o'clock game. I think it's no, it's actually one o'clock game. So we'll get to that game. 
But let's go to Houston and Cleveland. Uh, 48 point total implied right now. The, the the Browns massive favorites here around 12 points the last time I checked. Odell Beckham already been ruled out for this game. So, um, you know, Jarvis Landry will remain the top option in this passing game. Depending on how much they need him, we will see. I mean, yes, Houston just put up 37 against Jacksonville, but uh, this is still a team we project to be pretty bad. I mean, how how safe and how strong of options are Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? Uh, you know, Chubb got the 15 carries, 83 yards and two touchdowns. But, you know, Hunt obviously still played his role. Um, there could be just enough rushing volume for both these guys to get theirs in this game. Yeah, Hunt had two carries inside the 10, Chubb had four, and then Chubb outcarried Hunt inside the five, two to one, but still very clearly Hunt's involved because Hunt's a very good player. Having said that, since he returned from injury last year, Chubb has averaged 18 fantasy points per game, and this is pretty much the nut game script for him since we're obviously not buying anything the Texans did, even though I will say Tyrod Taylor surprisingly looked very good. But yeah. again, that's against a Jags defense. This is a Cleveland defense that just hung with the Chiefs until the last drive, had a 22 to 10 lead over the Chiefs over the first half. So the Browns are just a playoff team that we expect to compete deep into the postseason. The Texans are nothing. The Texans played a home divisional game season opener and they trounced an Urban Meyer offense. No big deal. We're just throwing that behind us. I think the Browns and Nick Chubb roll here. Yeah. And like, in case we needed more evidence of how good this Cleveland offensive line is, I mean, just just go watch that game in week one. I mean, Wyatt Teller and these guys like Nick Chubb, I think, was like five and a half yards before contact per carry. Like it was ridiculous. And this is just a mismatch right between Houston's D line and Cleveland's offensive line. Last year, the Texans allowed 17 runs of 20 yards or more, the fourth most in the NFL, and Nick Chubb last year, second in breakaway runs despite missing four games. He was first in 2019. Like, he is the king along with Derrick Henry in breakaway runs. Um, this is the exact ideal game script. Uh, although they did give him a couple targets early in that last game, which was kind of nice. Obviously, he doesn't have a ceiling of like six, seven targets. But, you know, as 12-point home favorites, this is the ideal spot for Kareem Hunt um, or for, for Nick Chubb. And you can still play Kareem Hunt, I think, as well. The pass catchers, I mean, how much are the Browns going to have to throw in this game? Baker Mayfield looked pretty good for until like the end of that game, but just didn't didn't have any touchdown passes because Chubb broke one from, I think, like 20 yards out. Um, you know, Landry had the rushing touchdown like I don't think Baker's a bad play. I just don't know if he has a massive ceiling in tournaments. And then obviously Landry should be the number one uh, option. You mentioned Anthony Schwartz earlier, who, you know, played a pretty huge role in that first game. Donovan Peoples-Jones still ran the routes. And then the tight ends, like Hooper didn't run as many routes as we thought, even though they said they would have a, a larger role for him entering the season. It was a lot more David and Joku. Do any of these pass catchers outside of maybe Jarvis Landry interest you? Not personally. As you said, Landry's by far the safest. His average seven and a half targets now going back to last year without Eldo Beckham. <clears throat> also looked healthy getting a rushing touchdown in that game. But... We also know that Rashad Higgins only ran four routes, played four snaps, I believe, actually, and was brought along slowly. Is supposed to slowly integrate back into the offense this week. So what happens with Donovan Peoples-Jones, who ran nine more routes than Anthony Schwartz, but only got one target? And Schwartz, of course, their third-round rookie, who ran a 4-240 at his pro day, and that's why he was used intentionally downfield, like straight nine routes and just toss it deep to him. And he tied for the team high and with five targets with Landry and David Njoku and Joku of course was also playing played more snaps than both Austin Hooper 
and Harrison Bryant, but all were still used throughout the game. So I genuinely have no idea since we now know Odo Beckham is also out uh, outside of Landry and Chubb and Hunt. If you want to get crazy, that's really it for me in this among the Browns offense. Like you said, Tyrod Taylor did look good in that last game. I think the most surprising stat of the week was Mark Ingram getting 26 carries. I can safely say that will not happen again this year, especially here as 12 point dogs. Uh, David Johnson has shown that he's going to be the pass catching back in this offense. But do we do we care like Brandon Cooks look good? Do we want anybody on Houston? If you're playing a Browns deck, you probably unless it's just Chubb or Hunt with the Browns defense, you probably need a run back in tournaments. And for me, that would only be Brandon Cooks unless Pharaoh Brown is ruled out. Because Brown actually blocked, I believe he had 14 more run blocking snaps than Jordan Aikens, but Aikens ran three more routes. He just wasn't at, he didn't produce as much in the box scores Brown, but Brown did not practice on Wednesday. So if he's banged up and it's just Aikens, that becomes really sneaky. The only issue is if you're looking like at the overarching view of the slate, Darren Waller's here without Travis Kelsey. So Darren Waller, clearly the primary option after 19 targets Monday night. So any tight end you roster, and there, there are a few that got amazing usage that are available here, but you have mm-hmm. to convince yourself that they are going to outproduce Darren Waller or at least come close to his salary. And so that's really the issue and paying down this week at that spot. All right, cool. Let's move on to Cincinnati and Chicago. Um, this game's kind of interesting to me. Uh, like entering week one, the Bengals were like super affordable, right? Everybody across the board was cheap and they're still pretty cheap, right? Joe Burrow on DraftKings is 5,800. He's relatively cheap on FanDuel as well. Mixon, 33 touches, dominated the snaps. Uh, he's 7K. And then, you know, T. Higgins got priced up a bit. Jamar Chase has barely been priced up. We The Chicago secondary is very, very exploitable, right? Um, they allowed, and again, it's not the same offense, uh, as the Rams, but they allowed a league high 12 yards per attempt, uh, in week one against the Rams. Their corners are not exactly the strongest point of their team. And we did see the Bengals go surprisingly run heavy in the first game, but they did have a lead for a lot of that game. And maybe you can say they were kind of, you know, monitoring Joe Burrow, whose first game back off the ACL. And then he actually was a little bit banged up, I think with like a shoulder or something in that game. So I wonder if they go back to not being, you know, with when Mixon's healthy and playing like he did, like they're not going to be 50 pass attempts. But like if the Bears can slow down the run here, I really think this Bengal stack is intriguing here. And I, for me, it kind of starts with Tyler Boyd, the, the one player who didn't do anything from this team last game. He still ran a ton of routes, still played a bunch of snaps, was in the slot around 82 percent of the time. And you look at what the Rams just did in the slot to this Bears team on Sunday night. I mean, their slot corner Marquee Christian got absolutely destroyed. He up two touchdowns in coverage, uh, five receptions on six targets. He's going to primarily see Tyler Boyd in this game, who's only 4,700 on DraftKings. I wrote about it on FTN Fantasy. Tyler Boyd is like my favorite value receiver on the slate, uh, at least one of them. So I like him. Apparently, Jamar Chase actually can play football, so that's cool. He's still only 5K. Like, I think the Bengals' uh, passing stack is very intriguing here, especially given their prices. They just have to pass more. Uh, even in having the league's eighth highest run play rate and neutral gain script in week one, Burrow was at least efficient with 9.6 yards per attempt and a 74% completion rate. Having said that, even in running the ball that high of a rate, he was getting smashed behind that offensive line. They were trying to protect him, and it basically wasn't working. But 
still uber efficient. That's okay. And as we know, the Bears allowed a week one high 12 yards per attempt through the air, to your point, because their cornerbacks are inexperienced and uh, seem pretty awful, honestly, even though they were chasing Sean McVay's scheme, which with a above average quarterback is a scary proposition for the entire year. And so we can, t- and so that that's why I think the, the Bengals are okay. But for Boyd, for me, they just have to pass more because, in my opinion, he is the inferior talent to mm-hmm. T. Higgins, who continues to transcend. And remember, Chase led in every stat, maybe would have done so anyways, but did so because Higgins was carted off for an IV for a few possessions at one point. So right. like, even those target and snap numbers are a little misconstrued. Uh, just another instance of everything being a little confusing in week one that we're trying to sort through and figure out right now. So I'm okay with all of them. But I also think the the Bears are kind of interesting as well just given and you know it was dalvin cook so he was going to have a good game as well but just the fact that david montgomery how he was used and how explosive he looked the only issue with david montgomery is that you have to get a ceiling if you play him and although he was great he did not have the pass catching role that he had last year that helped him elevate to become an rb1 in the first month of the season, he averaged 20 routes per game with and behind Tariq Cohen. And that's exactly what happened in this one. 20 routes to Damian Williams, 20 routes. Williams, who actually saw five of the team's six backfield targets. And so to me, Montgomery needs that pass catching ceiling to truly be like thrown into tournaments as an RB1. So you can either you can play this one out in your head how you think the game script goes. I think it could go either way, even though uh, I believe Cincinnati is the better pick here and think they're live road dogs. So, yeah, it really just comes down to that for me. I don't know how much bold or this game, how I'll have honestly, but, you know, you can have faith in Mixon, too, if you want to go that route. Yeah, and it's like until we see something from you know, the bears to where they go to Justin Fields. Like it's tough to feel great about the pass catchers. Like Robinson's going to get the volume. He's fairly priced. We actually saw, um, Chidobi Awuzie shadow Justin Jefferson on just over 71% of his routes. So like, that's kind of interesting to see if he shadows Robinson, not that he's a cornerback we worry about. It's just, that's the way that the Bengals kind of deployed him. Uh, again, they were without, um, Trey Waynes in that game too. I mean, he's fine. It's just where he's priced. So there's a lot of really good receivers that are either in that price range or a little bit less or a little bit more like he's kind of around the Dallas receivers who we'll talk about. So it's tough. Um, Like if I'm going down that down that low at tight end, at least I don't hate Cole Komet. I I was happy to see his usage of uh, what it was. And if Andy Dalton's going to continue to not throw the ball downfield, that could benefit Cole Komet. Um, And he still played a lot more than Jimmy Graham, which was the trend down the stretch of last season. And it's just chasing routes and chasing snaps, which I believe are still in Cole Komet's favor. So other than that, though, like I I think a a sneaky Bengal stack, especially because a lot of people are talking to your point about how they went really run heavy. um, I mean, we know this team at any moment can just go flip the script and go back to throwing the ball 40 plus times. And if that's the case, and I think it's going to help Tyler Boyd a lot, like you said, because Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are better talents than him. Um, so I think this game is kind of interesting in that regard. Montgomery, like you said, I think he's fine, but I do agree. Like that was a concern I had. It wasn't the fact that, you know, Tariq Cohen wasn't there. It's just the fact that they didn't have any other running backs behind him in general. So why not just let him play all the snaps and run all the routes? Now they have Damian Williams who played a decent amount in, in week one. So again, he's fine, um, but not like a building block for me. Uh, anything else in this game? 
It's just that if you're playing Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, yes, like all their usage is great. Uh, Komet out snapping Jimmy Graham 51 to 14. Darnell Mooney playing literally every snap mm-hmm. and running around on every one of Dalton's dropbacks. Allen Robinson leading the team with a double digit targets, 11 of them. But they're prayer yards. They're Andy Dalton stats. So, like, they don't matter is the issue here. Despite the talent, as we saw with C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper last year, talent cannot overcome the lack of talent Andy Dalton has. And so, like, that's my issue. It is definitely just, like, hail marrying these guys if you're playing them in game stacks here. By and the there's way. nothing wrong. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with hail marrying. But just know what you're up against. Know the hill you're climbing. And but I was gonna say like I I, I love prayer yards I, I love that term that's that's brilliant that's something I uh, got very angry about when everyone kept telling me about Jerry Judy DJ Shark uh, the list goes on and on just the guys getting just I mean bad, Judy had to have been the king yards. of that last year yeah Judy was the king Judy and Shark were the king because remember when when they threw Glennon in he even had the press conference and said he realized he's playing for his NFL career and so he's just gonna take shots and to his credit. He did take shots. I believe his deep ball rate was over 30%. The issue is, what do you think happens when Glennon throws a deep? It doesn't go anywhere. So, like, that was, those- dude, that, that's, I, I watched, because I had a lot of DJ Chark last year, right? And yeah. I'm watching the Jack, the Jacksonville games, and he's getting separation down the field, and the ball sails seven yards out of bounds. It, I'm like, all right, this is cool. It was also um, uh, Jalen Rager as well, because Carson Wentz. Like, and yeah, Chark, I, I believe Chark's off to a, a, a similar start this year. He had three catches on 12 targets and a ton of air yards in week one, including the 41 but, yard touchdown. So, but we have faith so right. far in Trevor Lawrence, uh, even though even though the offense did some wacky things, which we'll get to that point later. Let's go to potentially the least appealing game of the slate. The Jets at home against the Patriots, 43-point total. The Patriots are five, six-point favorites on the road. Uh, looks like Jameson Crowder is going to be back for the Jets. Elijah Moore was a popular value play, didn't get it done. Corey Davis just continues to be the clear number one option on this team. Uh, but we know that the Patriots are going to run a ton of man. J.C. Jackson also shadowed Devontae Parker in week one, so I would imagine he shadows Corey Davis here. Um, Davis has been pretty good against man coverage throughout his career, so it's kind of interesting. And Zach Wilson, the first half of that Jets game, looked awful. Second half, he looked pretty good. So uh, let's start with the Jets. Uh, I'm assuming the backfield is off limits. So is, is it just like Corey Davis for you? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's pretty much about it, and I don't even know if I'd go that far after mm-hmm. Wilson was pressured at the league's third highest rates. Um, and this matchup is significantly and, and now tougher. out. Right, and significantly tougher than the matchup they they had against the Panthers. So I don't know if I go anywhere. And by the way, that's kind of a, a lesson week one is for those cheap receivers. And honestly, if you pay up as well, it's not really like 
you're not trying to chase the chalk. Like you weren't in tournaments. You weren't going to Elijah Moore, Ron, maybe Rondell Moore if you wanted to run the double stack Titans out. Yeah, I had a lot but, of Rondell. Yeah, but I mean, you weren't playing like Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, just because once you saw everyone played those guys, then you start asking yourself which receivers are maybe not as good of plays, but the, what are the range of outcomes for the 31 to 3,400 guys that everyone's yeah. overlooking because they're going to this well, other group? Well, what I did was I completely 100% faded Callaway and just said, I'm just going to take, what is it? $200 more and play Marv. So like, yeah, that, like that worked out. But, uh, I also had a lot of Najee Harris who we'll talk about. So that didn't, that didn't help. But, uh, but I'm with you. Like you can't play anybody from this backfield. You just can't. And then like, I like the targets Corey Davis has been seeing. He's clearly the number one, but Crowder could be there, especially if Wilson's getting pressured a lot, that could lead to more Crowder. Not interested in the tight ends. Um, what do we do with the Patriots backfield? Is anybody in the is anybody actually in the doghouse? It's I mean it's just Damon Harris or bust for me. Uh, he was the better player anyways. I'm mm-hmm. surprised they play. I'm literally surprised Rondre Stevenson was even active. Um, like it doesn't matter about his preseason performance. We have 20 years of Belichick history, and we know that this is not how he usually treats his rookies. So just the fact he got on the field was surprising. And then he of course fumbled. And Harris did Harris did fumble at the end, but had done so much to that point. I'm not sure it even matters. He still handled. Harris did 23 of 29 backfield carries, and so that's what we're kind of chasing and what we believe to be uh, an immense positive game script for the Patriots here. All right, let's move on. We might have some value in this next game. Denver at Jacksonville. Jerry Judy on IR. He'll miss four to six weeks. I think they're saying it might be closer to six. So we have some potential value in in Denver, right? I mean, these receivers. Sutton was a non-factor in week one. I'm sure he saw a lot of James Bradbury. um, But there's obviously an immense ceiling here. And then Tim Patrick, a really underrated player that kind of always produces when he's on the field. He's going to be a full-time player now in two, two receiver sets. Judy was in the slot around 78 or 70, 80% of the time in week one. And if you look, he had, I think, six of his seven targets were from the slot. So KJ Hamler is probably going to fill that role, probably should have had a touchdown last week. And we know the game breaking ability he has. He can make one play. He can make, you know, make make the day for you on one play. He's 3,800. What are we doing with this Denver receiver group with Jerry Judy now out? So Patrick, as you said, has been a useful fantasy player and just good on the field whenever he's been available. Led Denver in fantasy points from week 10 on last year in place of Cortland Sutton. And that was with like getting ejected for punching someone's helmet at one point, playing the famous Kendall Hilton game. Um, Like there are a lot of reasons that Patrick should not have produced and yet he did around all that. Having said that, K.J. Hamler is obviously the sexy and much more explosive player. We haven't seen K.J. Hamler with a high target share just yet since he's only available for 13 games. But what happened in week one is that unlike last year when Jerry Judy ran nearly 70% of his routes from the boundary, he actually ran 18 of his 23 routes prior to injury from the slot in week one. And who led the Broncos in slot routes by a significant amount? Uh, K.J. Hamler, of course, who was 260-plus from the slot last year and no other player on the team was over a hundred. So I expect KJ Hamler to be the logical fill in this week. And 
with Jerry Judy's targets an immense amount after he accrued 100, 110 plus last year, now vacant, it's very possible we see KJ Hamler and the deep ADOT he has with five to seven targets per game. And if that's the case, he pops the lid off because for these guys who get volatile, deep targets, that's what we want. We want them to get the volatile targets, but we also want them to be like more than, let's say, Van Jefferson, three targets. We need them to be high shares. That way we feel much more comfortable taking chances on their hard to catch looks. And so that's what I'm kind of looking forward to here, especially after Teddy Bridgewater, not only garnering pro football folks' third highest grade among quarterbacks in week one, but also much more aggressive than he's been historically throwing six balls, 20 plus yards downfield. So I think this total actually goes over after Jacksonville has been proven historically. It goes back to last year, not just in week one, they can't stop anyone, but also like this offense seeming much better without Drew Locke finally out of the way. Yeah, and I think it's just it's just more possessions, right? Like Bridgewater, you you mentioned like he was a little bit more aggressive in week one, but just in general, he's not going to be throwing as many reckless passes as Drew Locke. So you get more possessions. And I agree, like I agree with PFF's, you know, rating. Like I thought he looked really good in week one. Um so I I think Hamler's an elite value play. I think you can go to Tim Patrick. It's just hard to get to him when he's almost a thousand dollars more than Hamler. And we, I think we'd agree Hamler probably has a higher overall ceiling if you're playing tournaments. Do you think Sutton could be overlooked here because he's priced where he is? He was he didn't do anything week one. We haven't seen him play really and produce in over a year and a half or whatever. But like this is such a high ceiling spot. I mean, Jacksonville last year allowed the most receivers to go for 100 plus yards with 10. And then what do they do in week one? Immediately, Brandon Cooks goes for 130 plus yards on like four catches. I think Sutton could be like really somehow sneaky in tournaments despite Judy being out. Um I, I I just think the matchup is so good. And if everybody's going to Hamler, I still think there's a chance Sutton could walk into eight targets in this game. That's, then obviously we can throw Noah Fant into this mix too. I think that's totally reasonable. Um, you know, it's it's worrisome, of course, after week one. But then again, that was just week one, especially when we removed Judy's targets. I would I would be more interested in Sutton if we see that Hamler garners a lot of roster percentage. If not, I think he will. Okay, if he does, honestly, then that's when you go to Sutton as the tremendous pivot, especially because those targets could just as easily filter to yeah. him, who's probably going to be a full-time player again in and week like, two. Last, last week, we had, what, five to seven 3K receivers that were all viable. There's maybe a couple. We'll talk about another one in Dallas probably soon. But other than that, like, you know, there's... Nobody's playing Elijah Moore again. Van Jefferson's down there, maybe, but you feel better about Hamler's targets a lot, a lot better than uh, for about Hamler's targets. Then it's like Gabriel Davis; he's questionable. Like, I, there's there aren't that many, there, obviously, but there's no there's nowhere near as many a viable three K receivers. So I think that in itself will probably make KJ Hamler pretty popular on this slate. Um, and, I, and I don't think he's a bad play, but if, yeah, that could make Sutton super appealing in tournaments. Yeah, and that's what we're looking at always. It's just uh, ownership numbers and, okay, what's the pivot here? Okay, this is a great pivot. So, yeah, I don't mind Cortland Sutton at all. Uh, I think Fant is interesting if you're going to go this game or this route as well since the Broncos did target their tight ends at a league-high rate in week one. So I'd be curious to see if that keeps coming around. Even Albert O got involved for three targets. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's something scored, didn't he? interesting to monitor. Um, he had an end zone target. I don't know if he had a touchdown. I forget if he scored or if Fant scored. No, I think it was Alberto. I know a tight end scored for them. I'm pretty sure. It yeah, probably Alberto was. Scored. I don't. Oh, Albert, okay, yeah, yeah, Alberto scored. So there you go. Um, the backfield was a f- about as much of a split as you could possibly find, but Javante led the way, and I believe sna- I think they both played 50 percent of the snaps. But Javante had a f- a three more carries. He had more of the short yardage uh, runs. 
Melvin Gordon breaks a 70-yard run. I'm not playing either of them, but um, I think it's interesting. I think Javante Williams on FanDuel, if you really want to go cheap at running back, isn't the worst option. He's like insanely cheap over there. But other than that, like it, it's right now, it's tough to really get a gauge on on playing one in this offense. And then I think if you want to go to Teddy as a value quarterback, like that's probably the, the lowest I would go. But I, I get it. Like the matchup is that good. Yeah, that's fine. Um, also, the I know we haven't moved to the uh, Jaguars backfield just yet, but it's interesting what they did because Urban Meyer. As much of a donkey as he is, he literally took James Robinson and turned him into Carlos, uh, turned him into Damien Williams. He just said, uh, "I'm going to give Carlos Hyde the carries," and Carlos Hyde out out touched uh, James Robinson eleven to eight. But then also James Robinson ran thirty six routes to Hyde's fourteen. So Robinson still has upside. And if you're playing the the logical coaching fallacy, then you can say, "Well, Robinson's talent will eventually usurp Hyde's." But also. This is Urban Meyer we're talking about. There is literally no gear. I mean, he's running out a 29-year-old seventh-year player as his every down tight end. There is no logic behind who Urban Meyer plays. And so, like, I actually have my doubts that Robinson will eventually take over for Hyde, too. But if you're thinking negative game script and you're playing, like, one of those running backs, uh, as you mentioned, like, the Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams splits, but then again, uh, Melvin Gordon only had 30 yards rushing on, like, 13 carries, I believe, until he had that 70-yard touchdown run, so the numbers are a little fluky, then you could probably look to, like, James Robinson and negative game scripts. Uh, the Jacksonville receivers, their usage, I mean, they threw the ball so, like, it wasn't even just because they got behind. Like, they had, I think, their first carry didn't come to, like, the first, or to, like, the one-minute mark of the first quarter. So they, this is going to be a very pass-heavy team. They're going to be trailing a lot. Um, I mean, the usage was what we thought it would be, right? Chark and Marvin Jones were the downfield targets. LaVisca Chenault's dot was like four, four and a half. But he had like five of his six. Like he had a ton of touches off screens and jet sweeps. So like they're manufacturing touches for him. He's 4,900. Chark's 5'6 on DraftKings. Marvin Jones is 4,700. Again, matchup isn't incredible. Uh, we did see Sterling Shepard have a really nice game against Denver last week. Do any of these uh, Jacksonville pass catchers interest you? DJ Shark would be the one I'd chase just because he seems to be like the legitimate threat. Uh, last year, Marvin Jones, of course, was the one that came as like the easiest cash play. He was popping in every model, so everyone just played him. He was probably the one to get off in tournaments last week. But yeah, Shark is still the one I'm interested in. Uh, you know, so far, LaVisca's just LaVisca. Just, uh, he needs the volume because he's a low A dot guy and he's more used like a gadget player as he was last year. And so, like, you know, unless he gets the, the 17 10 targets, he has he doesn't really even have a high floor because they're not really using him as an explosive receiver. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think like I think he's going to be fine every week, but like until he, you know, until he starts to get used more down the field, he's going to have a lot of like five catch 50 yard and then like maybe two carry 15 yard games, which, you know, they just they don't really excite you as much as you love LaVisca as a player. And, and we don't know what's going to happen yet, but that was always the issue in his rising ADP, like to the Chase Claypool levels. It's because uh, even in college, like he didn't spike double digit touchdowns. Um, and like in this role, it's basically just rich man's Jarvis Landry. Like it's not even yeah. that exciting to be honest. So yeah, it's he just, he just target, needs to be, it's he needs to be used Jarvis Landry. Yeah. He needs to be used differently is all. And it just seems like right now, Marvin Jones and DJ shark who were good at that role have that role. Yeah. This next game, pretty interesting, too. San Francisco travels to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. 45 and a half total. Um, that's, no, I'm looking at the wrong game. 50 is the total. Mm-hmm. San Francisco road favorites here at three. I think this is interesting. I think the Eagles win this game, by the way. Um, 
All right, Daigle, before we get to the Eagles, what what the hell is going on in San Francisco? Well, no one knows. Uh, <laughs> ev- like life, everyone wants every decision to be black and white, and that's just not how anything works. It's all gray area, and you have to decipher it, and it's a lot of work to decipher, but it makes it more gratifying as well. I, I don't it, know if you have this. I, I'm sure you could find it, but in terms of like search number of searches on NBC Sports Edge, Brandon Ayuk's got to be like top five. Like, yeah, I would say Elijah Mitchell still more, but uh, sure. Brand- Brandon Ayuk is probably second to him. Sure, so many question marks with with both, honestly, but especially Brandon Ayuk. I would I would say we're much more hopeful on. Well, I'm very hopeful for Elijah Mitchell. We'll get there in a second, but for Brandon Ayuk, I, I I've actually have a couple like three max entries and like a Millie maker where I'm fine with him. Honestly, I, I can't even suggest him intelligently. He's more like a hell Mary play, but mm-hmm. after he practiced in full on Wednesday from that hamstring injury and in week one, he was available as the punt returner. And then they said he's injured. That yeah, just that doesn't wild. add, that doesn't add up to me. And yes, he did split snaps and routes with Trent Sherfield well behind Debo Samuel who garnered a 52% target share. But overall, like this is absolutely a game that Brandon and I, you could just come out and scorch if used properly, if he's had a good week of practice and again he's practicing in full so i would think he would so i don't mind them at all and plus like this is an interesting game that i expect to go well over its total i was fortunate to get it at sunday night at 48 knowing that that was too low um and the eagles are well the 49ers are interesting just because you look at their overall plays like the lions as everyone has already talked about led the league with 92 plays run and then you look at yeah, the 49ers ran only 50 by plays. And so you think what happens, but that's because they were literally too good. Like they were the only team to reach 40 plus points in week and one. And they had a pick six. Right. Garoppolo led the week with 12 and a half yards per attempt on just 12 and a half, on just 25 throws. And then they were also just one of two teams to average at least eight yards per play. Like they were literally just too good. And so if they're going to do that against this Eagles team that made Jalen Hurts, they basically turned Jalen Hurts' arm into an elite one by telling him to throw within four yards of the line of scrimmage. Like Jalen Rager for his entire career at TCU and last year has been nothing but a deep threat. And then Jalen Rager had a one A dot on six targets in week one. He was because, used like Debo. Yes, they literally just used him at the line of scrimmage and said, break tackles, which they can do because now this San Francisco backfield, which just moved Jason Verrett to IR and Emmanuel Mosley is at practice on the sidelines dealing with a hamstring injury, is potentially looking at starting Josh Norman, who I still thought was in like LA working at Fox, but no, he's actually on a football <laughs> team. Drake or Patrick, who was just signed on Tuesday, and then rookie cornerback Diamador Lenore, uh, who's going to be in charge of keeping up most likely with Devontae Smith or Rager. And so either way, like it's such a tremendous spot for both teams to get there in this matchup. Yeah, I love that. So Jalen Hurts, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I love him here. So the Eagles offensive line, I, I understand they played Atlanta, but their offensive line, look, we, we know that when they're healthy, they can be really good. And right now, I think Brandon Brooks is not in practice but they, i think i saw some beat reporters say they expect him to play so you have brandon brooks you have lane johnson you have jason kelsey and then vitai who just got paid was incredible in week one like they can have a really good offensive line and the way they use jalen hurts last year jalen hurts like that's why in so many articles and stuff everybody's saying you know talking about can you trust jalen hurts passing and i'm like can we look at how the eagles used him they had him take five step dropbacks and literally lead the nfl in, in a dot and it's like he was throwing to whatever was left of Alshon Jeffrey and one game of Deshaun Jackson and, you know, um, Travis Fulgham and Greg Ward. And now what they did in week one, 
His average at the target was only 3.6, and he, after leading the NFL last year in time to throw at 3.3 seconds, that went down to 2.7. So the ball was getting out faster, and he he was making that touchdown he had to Dallas Goddard was incredible. So I, I love Hurts, and you have to. I think I, you have to love Devonta Smith how he was used. He was really used as a wide receiver one, which makes sense given the fact that he is their wide receiver one. Um, I, I like that stack a lot in this game. And then obviously Jalen Hurts is going to give you the rushing. He has at least 60 rushing yards or a touchdown in every one of his stars dating back to last season. So love that duo. Um, the backfield, kind of surprising, right? Like we thought Boston Scott was the the number two all offseason. He's deemed active for the first game. Doesn't play a snap, and it's all Kenny Gainwell, who also played in the two-minute drill. Um, does that make you? And I thought Miles Sanders did look good in that game against Atlanta, uh, but Gainwell got the short yardage touchdown. Are you interested in Sanders at all in this backfield, or is it Hurts and um, Devonta Smith? And then I guess we can mention Goddard because Zach Hurts hasn't been practicing. He might actually be legitimately questionable for this game. Sure, I'd be interested in Sanders. Uh, he looked great to your point, and also his splits with Jalen Hurts are pretty juicy and that was with a different coaching staff as was Goddard's stats last year when he ran a route on 89 percent of the team's dropbacks in three games four games without Zach Ertz but either way uh I, th- I think anyone's in play like you mentioned Devontae Smith I also think Jalen Rager's in play honestly he has a very mm-hmm. high floor if he's being used like that and with the bodies I mentioned in San Francisco secondary of course he can beat those guys he can break those tackles so anyone's in play it's also interesting that the Eagles ran at the league's fastest pace in the first half and then when they had a lead in the second half they actually slowed way down to a bottom three rate they just protected their lead and so uh, if this stays competitive throughout this game is probably faster than we think as well yeah it's a great point and um you know san francisco they give up eight yards per play to the lines last week so like their defense you mentioned the secondary like it's not that you know quintez cephas and the receivers did much but like they they gave up a, and again the, the 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 plays were fluky by detroit because they got an onside kick and then there was the late debo fumble that gave them more snaps so a little bit fluky in that regard but like yeah if if the lions can find some success on offense against you then i think the eagles very well can and will and i also by the way love bringing it back with george kittle in this game um just absolutely love it um the usage wasn't incredible but per usual the efficiency was for george kittle and if this game because San Francisco kind of just coasted that when they, they went like what 31, 38 to 10 or something like they just coasted and it's like, we don't need George Kittle. Um, so this game stays close. High total Kittle can have, you know, 10, 11 targets and absolutely smash. So I like, I like bringing it back with him before we get out of this game. What are we doing with Elijah Mitchell? Are we playing him? Do we think, I mean, Trey Sermon's got to be active for this game, right? Well, they signed Trenton Cannon on Wednesday right. and Cannon play special teams. So yep. like to, to ask, if for sure Sermon's active, no. Like, I mean, I'm not ruling anything out with this backfield. So if Sermon is inactive Sunday morning, then I'm going all in on Elijah Mitchell because they've also proven they don't care about Jermichael Hasty. Like, they've given Jermichael Hasty more than six touches in one game, and that was the game that Jarrett McKinnon was active for Jeff Wilson, Tevin Coleman, last year um, and Raheem Mostert because they were all injured and then Jarrett McKinnon got injured in that game and that's when they had to use Michael Hasty even in week one with only two backs available after Mostert got injured Mitchell handled an 83% backfield touch share, which is the highest share of any back for the 49ers going back to last year. And so, like, they just don't care about Hasty as well, at all. So, like, if we know Serm is going to get scratched Sunday morning, then we definitely go to Mitchell. Otherwise, every range of outcomes possible. 
Uh, Sarman could lead in touches. Sarman could split touches. Sarman could not get a single touch if Shannon like was telling the truth and just said he sucks. Like, what do you what do you want me to do? So like, we don't know. And especially if like the ownership numbers come in uh, with Sermon and Mitchell is highly rostered, which I expect them to be, then I don't mind passing on that, especially because I don't really see him as a pass catching running back. Uh, or at least not one that's going to get many targets. His explosiveness, he can definitely get there on two to three targets, but that's not something I really want to chase on DraftKings. So it's really just going to come down to that and Sermon situation for me. All right, cool. Let's move on to the Rams and Colts. Dago, the last time you were on this podcast, you were trying, I believe, to talk Tyler Higby up to me and Debra, and we just weren't on it. And look, I know it's only week one, but I'm, I'm here to take the L. I, I think Higby is in line for an awesome season. Just look at the usage in week one, man. Literally played every snap, ran a route on 26 of Stafford's 27 dropbacks. I think his uh, he ran like five or four more routes than he averaged per game last year. Talented player like the offense. It's one week, but this offense looks like it's going to be borderline elite. Uh, I, I think Tyler Higby would be my favorite player from this entire game if Cooper Cup's price tag wasn't broken on both sides. He's literally 6K on both DraftKings and FanDuel. And he's an awesome play. Uh, there are a lot of ways to go in this game because, well, we just saw the Rams offense in, in week one, like be one of the most explosive. As we mentioned earlier, the Bears allowed a week one high 12 yards per attempt through the air. But also uh, Higby in play, Cooper Cup in play. And these t- teams obviously performed vastly different and like the Colts getting pummeled and the Rams being able to do whatever they want. But also, this is the first time all year the Rams are leaving the West Coast since training camp and all of their preseason games were actually in that time zone um, in their city. So just the fact that they had to get up for a Sunday night primetime game and now travel across the country to Indianapolis, I do think there's some uh, interesting narrative and like a reason to buy into the Colts plus four. Having said that, uh, you need, we need Quentin Nelson and or Darius Leonard to play because if one of those two are out, the the Colts are done. Like they just can't, they're not talented enough to win without either of those players. So it doesn't matter. Um, and if Darius Leonard's out, I mean, even more wheels. They up can't stop. Rigby. They don't, they literally don't have a chance of stopping the Rams at all. Like he, he's the one factor you need, but lucky land casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If they're all in. Quentin Nelson especially, then we can just look to last week's stats and say, okay, uh, Rams defense, who we had questions about, um, they have, you know, obviously two of the best positional players in Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, but Brandon Staley knew where to put them, whereas I, I have my doubts still, what they're doing now is the same thing, and uh, 
and that proved to so far be true in week one since they were just one of five units to allow over five yards per carry to Montgomery, right? And then you imagine that's exactly how they want to play the Colts do with Jonathan Taylor after Carson Wentz took 15 quarterback hits and four sacks because he held the ball for over three seconds every play because that's what Carson Wentz does. I was going to um, say, and, nothing's changed. Yeah, and, and Taylor encouragingly saw a career-high seven targets to go along with the 17 carries over Naheem Hines' nine. And so, like, there is a, a real chance that the Colts compete in this game. And if that's the case, Taylor is going to 100% come in under-rostered compared to Najee Harris, uh, Zico Elliott, Austin Eckler, when he has obviously the same range of outcomes as all of those guys. So if we get all of them healthy, Jonathan Taylor is going to be my favorite tournament play in DFS this week. Yeah, and like, yeah, Naheem Hines was heavily involved in the passing game like he always is, but like, I think that's more of a, an indictment on the receiver situation they have right now. And Jonathan Taylor, like these two led the team in targets. Like you like that usage. And yeah, I mean, I think the Rams last year didn't allow a single 100-yard rusher, and then Montgomery goes for 100-plus in week one. So Taylor is very, uh, he's going to be like, six percent rostered i would yeah no one's gonna play him after last week yeah something along those lines like six percent uh so that's a really good call um i love higby here 4100 i believe on DraftKings. one of my favorite tight end plays of the slate just given the usage uh gerald everett and will disley just got this team for a combined five or 60 and a touchdown darius leonard doesn't play that's even better for tyler higby and like it was interesting to see, and this is maybe more of a Seattle being Seattle thing, and Russ and Lockett having like the best connection on deep passes in the NFL. But like the past couple of years, has been a zone heavy team that limits the deep passing plays, and they just got destroyed by Lockett and Wilson. But like maybe like in general, this is the spot where I think tight ends can find success. So I love Higby. Cooper Cup's price tag is broken on both sides, like I mentioned. Do you have any concern about Robert Woods' routes in Week One? No. Uh, Robert Woods will be just fine. Having said that, I do like, you know, Cooper Cup's easy because his salary really didn't go up. And um, against the Colts, who we know are going to run, be like top five or eight in zone, um, he's the kind of guy that plants in a zone and will mm-hmm. make easy catches. I also, if we think the Colts are going to compete, like in a Millie Maker format, you know, I, I don't know what really stakes your your listeners play but uh you know if you're in the one dollar three dollar five dollar with like 100k entries i don't think Van jefferson's a bad play i'm gonna be playing van jefferson in some lineups so we only saw three targets for an 11 percent share but finished second through 27 times exactly uh finished second on the team in routes run ahead of robert woods and deshaun jackson because they basically used van jefferson as deshaun jackson as he led the team in air yards and again not prairie yards because it's matthew stafford those are true air yards and he had a 20 those are like arguably the best air yards outside of the homes and maybe like josh allen like oh, those yeah. are stafford air yards are are what we like and he had a 29 a dot so if the colts that are all competitive and we get a full tree for van jefferson and more snaps like those are the kind of targets with a higher target share and a competitive game script that i absolutely want to chase before we go to the next game any interest in daryl henderson who was the every down running back 90 plus percent of the snaps the price is still fair uh i think the matchup is literally middle of the road for him like i think that's the best way to put it and the price tag is pretty fair too like i think henderson is like the definition of like a very fine play 5700 on DraftKings. he handled all of the short yardage work all the inside the five carries for the rams um and like i said like this offense i know it's only week one but they look like they could be like just incredible this year Yes, and my only concern after Sony Michelle played literally just one snap right. is that uh, Sony Michelle's still here. Like he's still lurking, he's still learning the playbook. We knew he was questionable. He was active, and then he was not involved in a you know like twenty point 
trouncing, whatever, who cares? But like Sonny Michelle's still coming. So I just wonder how much more, if he will, be involved. Uh, but if the game script like goes awry because they can't get the Colts, Leonard, or Nelson on the field, maybe like Daryl Henderson is the right pivot under rostered. All right, let's go to Vegas at Pittsburgh. This is a tough spot for Vegas. It's coming off that, you know, incredible last minute overtime thrilling win against the Ravens. Banged up offensive line still. Josh Jacobs is banged up. Now they're missing two pieces on their defensive line potentially. Now you got to travel to Pittsburgh for a one o'clock game. 47 point total. Steelers favored by six. Um, I'm starting to get, and it's only Thursday, but from, you know, Twitter and stuff like that, I'm starting to get the vibe that Najee Harris, you know, opposite of last week is going to be pretty popular. 6,300. I don't know if you know this, John Daigle, but Najee Harris played a hundred percent of the snaps in week one. Um, I hadn't heard that actually clear sarcasm there, but, but he did. And that's what we maybe not expected to that extent, but we knew he'd be an every down player. Um, just missed a couple of receiving touchdowns. Honestly, in this game, he was close. The Bills stacked the box against the Steelers, kind of like they did in week uh, 14 of last year because they, the Steelers have no threat of a downfield passing attack. So what the Bills do is they just bring Poyer and Hyde down into the box. Um, different matchup here, obviously. Still really cheap, and he's going to get 20 opportunities and 90-plus percent of the snaps. Uh, is Najee Harris, to you, somebody you want to go back to if you played him last week? Yes, of course. I mean, no one's going to argue against Najee Harris. And the best part is like whether you did not draft him because the offensive line sucks and maybe Najee Harris sucks. We don't know. Uh, or you drafted him because he's going to get all the touches. The fact is everyone was right. Let's have a party together. Um, but in this game, like you said, it sets up immensely well, almost an impossible spot for the for the Raiders after you know, Yannick Ngakwe suffers a hamstring injury, may not go. Denzel Good, offensive lineman, sent to IR. Richie Cognito looking doubtful with a calf Trouble injury. out for the year now. Right. Not to mention the fact the Raiders are 3-8 and eight against the spread under Gruden when traveling from west to east coast. So it's just the legitimately the perfect spot for Najee Harris. Uh, having said that, if he comes in high roster, which I fully expect him to do, mm-hmm. then I, I think you can also pivot to the receivers and the passing game. Now. The issue with the passing game, if you go Roethlisberger, uh, remember, in tournaments, if you're in, you're in. You don't even have to believe the situation, but if you're in, you're in. Thus, you have to double stack Roethlisberger because really the only way for that lineup you created to win in tournaments anyways is for Roethlisberger to match the Allen, Kyler Murrays, like the power, Russ, the powerhouses on the same slate. So you pretty much have to double stack them. Then again, there's nothing wrong with double stacking him with Harris as well, knowing the targets will hopefully be there. The targets were not as much as I would like to think they'll continue to be in week one. I think it's going to grow from there, though. So just to know, like, if you go the passing game, if you're in, you're in. Other, like, pretty much if you don't play Rossberg and you play receiver, you have to fade Harris because that's just the way tournaments work. Yeah, and you know the first player you're stacking, it's Deontay Johnson. He has double-digit targets in, like, 10 of it, or 11 of his last 12 yeah. games. Uh, that he hasn't left early, um, and that continued last week. So, um, And they ran three wide a little bit more than I thought. We started to see a lot of 12 personnel from the Steelers in the preseason. They were still three wide, I think, like 70-plus percent of the time last week. Uh, it was still Juju as the number two, and then Chase Claypool, but there's obviously upside with Claypool. Um, I don't hate Roethlisberger, but I do agree. Like If you're going to play him, you have to stack him with Deontay and somebody else at, at the minimum. But it's a good matchup, obviously. I think the, the Raiders' pressure rate was good against Baltimore last week, so that's a, maybe the slightest concern, but their D-line is banged up, and Gakwe banged up, um, and they missed 11 tackles in Week 1. I think that was the most in the NFL, so still a lot of upside for the Steelers' offense. 
um, especially with Vegas traveling to the East Coast after a you know a thrilling Monday night win. I think it sets up really nicely for Pittsburgh. Um, for Vegas, I mean, Josh Jacobs is banged up, and he's got maybe the worst matchup outside of Tampa Bay for a running back. I, I, no thanks. Uh, Waller's obviously the volume machine, 19 targets. Um, I'm not saying Waller's a bad play, but I don't know. This doesn't seem like a great spot for Vegas. I'm not really too interested. Yeah, I don't have any clue what to do with their receivers, nor do I care to. Uh, Waller, of course, you can play. Again, there's no Kelsey, so Waller's the ty- the option. And like I even at least came into the week thinking Minka Fitzpatrick is like a great matchup, which he is, but you know what? Matchups don't matter when Waller's getting 19 targets and a 40% target share. Who cares about matchups? Uh, it could be Jalen Ramsey, and it doesn't matter because Waller's getting 19 targets. So I mean, like, they had Marlon Humphrey on him a lot last game, and it didn't matter either, so... Right. And that's kind of the way I look at it Uh, with the receivers. Again, this is even for redraft leagues too. Hunter Renfo finished with 10 fewer targets, but did lead the team's wideouts and opportunities. 10 fewer targets than Waller. Um, Edwards didn't record his first reception or target until 7-10 remaining in the third quarter. And Henry Ruggs led the team in air yards. And so like you can parse all that together however you want for redraft leagues or playing a receiver here. But to me, that just all spells hell no. Like I'm I'm just going to shy away from all that. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm I'm not playing any rate. I'm probably not even going to play Waller because I do like Kittle a lot. And I just, you know, 7,600 for Waller, it's fine. But, like, I don't, I just don't love the Raiders we, in general here. There, there are a few good options, honestly. Uh, we already passed through Higby, who's a great option if you play, especially if you play Taylor, too. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about, and we already talked about Goddard. If Zachary misses, that'll become popular. Fant's a good one. And then also, you know, there's still one more big one to come against the Bucks, of course. Let's move on to the NFC South. New Orleans at the Carolina Panthers. Uh, welcome back, Christian McCaffrey. 30 touches, dominates the snaps. Uh, do we need to say anything about Christian McCaffrey? I know the Saints have been a good run defense. Doesn't matter. McCaffrey is getting, you know, Stefan Diggs type usage almost in the passing game. Like it's, if you can, if you can afford him, Christian McCaffrey is probably getting to 30. I mean, he got 30 fantasy points last week, didn't score a touchdown. Right. It was the nut run out if he faded him in week one because, like, the, that kind not getting the five point bonus for 100 yards or scoring a touchdown is exactly what you want to see when you fade a 10 game player because there's nothing wrong with fading a 10 game player. There's nothing wrong with fading McCaffrey this week. You just have to know what you have to get um, properly in order to fade him. And like that was literally the nut situation to fade him. The issue is a lot of us faded him for Najee Harris, and uh, you know, that didn't turn out too well. No, it didn't. Um, so McCaffrey, obviously elite. I really like the I like DJ Moore a lot here. I loved how they used him in week one. Uh, his yards before the catch perception and a dot were down by about three yards compared to last year. He was used kind of all over the field, whereas last year we know he was more of the main deep threat um, was clearly the number two, you know, one a in terms of the entire offense. But he was clearly the number one receiver in terms of targets. Fifty nine hundred. The Saints probably going to be without Marshawn Lattimore in this game. I think that's a really nice price tag for DJ Moore, who is always going to be a high yardage guy, right? He's, I think, at over 80 yards in week one. He's been top 10 in yardage each of the last two seasons in the NFL. And I just think that he's a really strong play there. And with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's probably it from this team for me. That is honestly about it for me as well. I think you summed it up well. All right, cool. Let's go to the Saints. Uh, Jameis Winston, touchdown rate. He, I mean, the, the, the LASIK surgery is, is off to a great start. I mean, was that... That's got to be like one of the five most bizarre week one games I've ever seen. Like, not that, the, and I talk about this Debro because he's a Saints fan. Not that the Saints, and nobody expected the Saints to be a bad team this year without Breeze and Michael Thomas, but like 38 to 3 week one against Green Bay, like wild game. Um, Alvin Kamara, he, Alvin Kamara had 20 carries again. He very quietly, dating back to last season, has 20, 20 plus carries in three of his last four games. The, the, the passing game usage wasn't there. Obviously, they didn't need him to catch passes in this game. What do you think of uh, the Saints here with Kamara? Tony Jones, by the way, looked good. I don't, th- I don't think we're playing him, but he looked good as well. And then the tight end situation, right? Juwan, um Johnson got the touchdowns, but he did not. He played, I think, 12 snaps, ran nine routes. Adam Troutman, did, he, he had the usage you want to chase. The interesting thing is that eight of Jones's 12 touches occurred while the saints were still building their 10-0 lead so like he was involved in an yeah. important game script with alvin Kamara as well uh given the routes i'm still chasing Kamara, of course because he's one of the best players in the league but it is like slightly concerning that he was basically involved more than they had involved latavius murray even and he looked I, like, I thought he looked really good like yeah, he, he was looks, running really hard yeah uh, i did not expect him to carry though um, perhaps standalone value. And, you know, if this usage continues in a competitive game script, then he might. For Adam mm-hmm. Troutman, I mean, if everyone's going to chase Jawan Johnson, it's just wrong. Uh, right. Jawan Johnson ran 10 routes, saw three targets, scored on two of them. Now, both of them were inside the 10, and perhaps that continues happening. But if so, he's just Foster Moreau, and you're not playing Foster Moreau every week, so who cares? Uh, the fact that Adam Troutman had, like you said, the team-high 30% target share and then ran 18 routes on Jameis Winston's 24 dropbacks, like that's the kind of usage we chase despite the box score. So we are going back to Troutman if need be as well in this game. Yeah, if you're if you're kind of punting tight end, I think he's one of the best options, right? Like, And we didn't talk about like like James O'Shaughnessy for Jackson ran a ton of routes. Like if, if you can get up to Troutman, I would just obviously rather play Troutman. Um, so I think he's very viable. I, I, I'm perfectly fine with Kamara. Like you said, he is just, he's just that dude. He's one of the best players in football. Um, I'm not on the receivers though. I'm not on Callaway. I'm not on Deontay Harris. Um, it's really, it. it's kind of a simple game. And I'm not really on Jameis. Like, despite what we saw, like he looked good, but not that touchdown rate is absurd. <laughs> Callaway would be the one I chase, but like I don't believe the Deontay Harris, especially when he finished fourth on the team in routes run. Um, I just wonder what happens whenever the Saints are in a competitive game script. Like, does Jameis go back to being a pumpkin and being mm-hmm. Jameis? Because at the same time, a lot well, of room for error in that last game. Yeah, it would definitely lead to turnovers, but also it would lead to fantasy goodness after he only threw two passes 20 plus yards downfield um, and he kept. of his passes at the line of scrimmage. Like Sean Payton clearly told him, don't you dare screw this up. And uh, he (laughs) he played very conservative, albeit efficient quarterback. And so whenever like push comes to shove, I do think he turns back to Jameis. And if that's the case this game, because I do think the Panthers are in a really good spot for an upset, then uh, I think the Callaway would be the guy we want. All right, let's move on to Minnesota at the Arizona Cardinals. 
Um, this game's got some definite shootout appeal, I think. Um, Minnesota went really pass-heavy in that last game, too. Obviously, they were trailing a little bit, but just in general. Uh, 51 point total right now. Arizona favored by 3.5 at home. Kyler was awesome. Um, I don't think we need to say much about Kyler or DeAndre Hopkins. If you want to play them, go for it. They're awesome. Minnesota secondary, still, uh, I think, a weakness, despite some of the improvements they made. Uh, they got they got really you know, just if, I would have loved to see the numbers Burrow and company could have put up if they actually threw the ball a lot in that last game. So, um, and the backfield was kind of a split, like we thought. Edmonds clearly the pass catching back, and I think Connor was used more in short yardage, which we expected. Um, what do you think of the Cardinals here? Like, because I, like you can talk about Kyler and DeAndre if you want. I just don't think there's there's a ton of analysis needed. They're they're great. Or which ones? I'm sorry. For, I'm for the Cardinals. I mean, like Kyler and oh. Hopkins are great, and then the backfield. Like, do we? It was kind of a split, but Edmonds was the passing downs back. Like, do we go to anybody on this team that isn't Kyler and Hopkins? I mean, I know Kirk had the touchdowns, but he was still clearly running as a wide receiver three behind AJ Green and Hopkins. So for Edmonds, that was actually the best case scenario. That was awesome uh, because at least for week one, we found out they're using James Conner as Carlos Hyde which is a player like basically only want in really deep leagues. Mm. Uh, Connor outcarried him in 16 to 12, but eight of those carries came on Arizona's last two drives yeah. where, they were, where they were up 38 to 13, and he ran the fewest routes of any player on the team. Meanwhile, Edmonds was significantly more efficient on his carries, uh, five over five yards per attempt compared to Connor's 3.3, and then Edmonds also hoarded 100% of the running back targets and ran the third most routes on the team ahead of even Christian Kirk. So like Edmonds, that was awesome. Like you should be excited if you have Edmonds for that usage in one of the league's most explosive offenses. For Kirk and Moore, it's just going to vary. It's literally just going to depend when AJ Green gets out of the way, uh, and they will have ceiling games in between. Then it's just going to be harder to expect them because AJ Green still had six targets, still was second on the team in routes run, but also it's AJ Green. Like his peripherals don't matter at this stage of his career, and I hate. It sucks because I don't want to bury him because I've loved watching him as a player, but also right. it's like it's just. It's bad whenever people come on and like are just excite in the industry. Well, like AJ Green has these numbers, but as again, it comes down to context, and we know those numbers for AJ Green don't matter at all. He Christian Fulton was bullying him in the end zone. Like he's just not gonna catch a pass. It doesn't matter. So he is not a legacy player like Larry Fitzgerald. They could not take Fitzgerald off the field because fans would burn the stadium to the ground. They can see AJ Green's performance in a month in and take him off the field. And that's what I think is going to happen eventually and allow Kirk and Moore to work their way more in, especially after both played uh, 90, at least 96% of their routes from the slot. So once we get them working more on the outside and the slot in three wide sets, and AJ Green is the lesser used option, that's when this one offense really takes off further. Yeah, and I, and I thought Rondell looked really good. Um, awesome. A ton of yards after contact per reception, using the screen game. Like He, he looked awesome. Um, so he's going to be a guy that I'm excited to watch in this offense, and I'll be playing him a lot in tournaments. I played him last week. Um, and I think the I think the playing times it it has to go up if you just look at how he what he brings to this offense. Um, for Minnesota, for Minnesota, I mean, is Adam Thielen ever going to stop scoring touchdowns? Uh, by the way, Justin Jefferson, his game should have been much better. He scored. We be honest, like he scored. He was in the end zone. Um, but Thielen, like the interesting thing with Thielen was when Jefferson kind of came onto the scene last year. Thielen's yardage per like his yardage per game was terrible. 
92 yards in the opener with two touchdowns like that was pretty encouraging for Adam Thielen if you were worried about him kind of coming back down to earth this year obviously it's only week one but what do we think of the the Vikings offense it was continued concerted usage for Adam Thielen in the red zone that has always been the case as was the case again because whatever you think of as you know this stage of his career he's still very good at separating inside the 10 and he's a very trustworthy option uh Kirk Cousins also has thrown multiple touchdowns in nine of his past 10 games and honestly like he's such a great option in this slate the issue is you have to double stack him just like I was talking about with Rossberger mm-hmm. um because like if again to win tournaments you have to win you have to ask and yourself especially how do, you got to double stack win? some of those like Cousins and Roethlisberger because they're not running. So you right. need and to make up for it. Exactly. And Kirk Cousins, absolutely, in this game, in this slate, has 300-yard, four-touchdown capability. Absolutely. But again, he has to compete with the same score as Allen, Russ, Kyler. Like, you're not only fading one or two players, you're fading an entire slate. So you would have to go Jefferson and Thielen, and then you have to hope K.J. Osborne doesn't accrue as many targets. It seems like he's yeah. going to be involved as they pivoted to more 11 personnel, three wide sets, by the way, without Irv Smith. K.J. Osborne in on 81% of the snaps, got the same 19% target share behind Adam Thielen's 21% as Jefferson did. But I still view him, obviously, as the inferior receiver, and so I think it's going to be harder for him to continue accruing that share of targets. So if it goes down, that means someone else goes up, and you have to hope that that is Thielen and Jefferson together if you play Cousins. Yeah, that that was probably one of the more under or overlooked aspects of week one was how much more the Vikings went three wide, which makes sense when Irv Smith was essentially being used as a wide receiver anyway for that offense in the in the in the preseason and training camp. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think Dalvin Cook's obviously always fine in tournaments, but the one thing we're not taking into consideration with projections and and analysis for this game is how many sacks is Chandler Jones going to have? That is a terrific question. But then again, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, that more or less, in my opinion, came down to the Titans scheme and just um, their offensive line and offense as a whole, which, by the way, we're worried about. Well, you're absolutely yeah. worried about the Titans. Yeah, we'll talk about them in a second. But first, got to go to Atlanta and Tampa Bay. Um, speaking of offenses that we could be worried about, Atlanta did not put forth a very inspiring effort against the Eagles in week one. Now that the travel to face Tampa Bay, who just blitzed Dak Prescott over 50% of the time. And I, I just, well, let me ask you this. Are you more encouraged or because there's a lot of talk about Kyle Pitts. Like there kind of always is in the fantasy community. Like, he obviously didn't have a good game, but he had eight targets tied with Calvin Ridley. They used them all over the field. Now his snaps were pretty close to Hayden Hurst, but like he's not, it's not like he's playing one for one tight end versus tight end because they're using Pitts as a receiver too. So um, what do you think of Ridley and this, like this offense with they, they just, I, do you look at their, their pass and run rates in this game against the Eagles in week one and say, okay, they kind of just mailed it in at one point, because if they're going to keep running the football down, by 20 points like I'm gonna be pissed but like again it's week one and maybe they just said you know what this we're not winning this game let's just move on to next week the Falcons yeah they were abysmal um (laughs) Jesus uh and it came down to the trenches because they could not protect Matt Ryan at all they tried to run play action Arthur Smith did in the first quarter it's a lot like the Titans offense actually which is why we have a lot of questions still about these offenses but when they did that, Matt Ryan got obliterated. Like they could not hold up at all against Fletcher Cox. And uh, it's a concern since it's not really a good offensive line to begin with. And so 
We just have no clue what they are. Uh, Cordero well, it's Patterson, a good thing they're not facing a good defensive line this week. Oh, wait. That's, that's just exactly it. Uh, Cordero <laughs> Patterson actually led the league in 10-plus uh, yard runs with four, but all of them came in the first quarter. They had 84 rushing yards in the first quarter and then were limited to 34 over the next three because the Philadelphia just lit, put the clamps down and said, I right, no more of this. We now see what you're doing. And so I'm very concerned because they led the league, the Falcons did, in 12 personnel as well. But also, like, Teams only have to cover two players. You cover Calvin Ridley and you cover Kyle Pitts. And the Eagles figured that out because then when Ryan started jamming targets to Hayden Hurst and Russell Gage, what do you think happens? Nothing. They don't move the chains because it's Hayden Hurst and Russell Gage. And so I'm very, very concerned. Like teams have already figured out the Falcons offense. Having said that in a divisional spot, up-tempo game script, um, you would hope the offense has changed. You would hope. But the usage for Ridley and Pitts was still so good. Pitts just to run a route on uh, 80% of Ryan's dropbacks and still have the eight targets he had, tremendous usage. So we are still not worried about Pitts just yet. But uh, would we have liked to have seen something better when we are arguing the players going to buck an historical narrative for a whole position? Yes, we would have liked to have been better. <laughs> Uh, in regards to this slate, like, do you have interest in Ridley or Pitts? And I'm assuming you're not touching anybody like Mike Davis against this front. No, thank you. Um, I mean, nobody's going to play them. Maybe Kyle Pitts just because the, 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 the appeal is still there, but I, I don't think, I don't think I want to pay 5,200 for Kyle Pitts. Well, if you don't want to pay 5,200 for Kyle Pitts, then you like you have to think. Well, this is the time that no one wants to pay fifty two hundred for sure. Kyle Pitts. So, and and like again, the usage was amazing. Um, and of course he can, he can match like Darren Waller in efficiency and production if he's the same player we thought he was in week one. So, like I I'm not saying I'm going to get there, but I'm saying like it's a good play. It really is. Uh, Tampa but I, Bay, I, I get the sentiment though. I completely get the sentiment. Yeah. But but again, if he comes in at like four percent, that's a really good play. Yeah, and you like how they moved him all over the formation, and he's still an immensely talented player. And I'm hoping that that game in week one was the worst performance we see from Atlanta all year, but uh, we'll see. It could be, I mean, who knows? It could be this week. They're facing arguably the best team in the NFL. Um, for Tampa Bay, I mean, Ronald Jones is starting, in case you were wondering. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever Bruce that means. Arians, un- unreal. Uh, but in all seriousness, like, great spot for anybody, right? Mike Evans was was. You know, had the down game last week. He was actually shadowed by Trevon Diggs on like 80% of his routes. And Trayvon Diggs did a great job. He even followed him into the slot. Um, Atlanta doesn't have, you know, Trayvon Diggs isn't like a top 10 corner. He's good. But Atlanta doesn't even have anybody as good as Trayvon Diggs. So, I mean, Evans is due for a bounce back. You love the usage from Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. Even though Antonio Brown wasn't on the field much, in, if at all, in, in two receiver sets, like he still has a clear rapport with Tom Brady. Like they're just going to put up points in this game. I guess the best way to ask for Tampa Bay is how do you each week kind of decipher who you like the most? Or is it just if you're running a ton of lineups, you should probably get some exposure to Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, obviously Tom Brady. And then Gronk, I thought, looked great in week one. Yes, uh, and it's also Gronk's usage just to run around on 37 of Tom Brady's 50 dropbacks. Like, that's incredible. He was legitimately a full-time player. O.J. Howard didn't even accrue a target, and it's because, obviously, he got in the training camp and summer reps this offseason, whereas last year at this time, he was a WWE champion. It makes a huge di- it makes a huge difference. And so that he's a tremendous play, and then when you're, when you're trying to filter through the Bucks receivers – uh, honestly, I don't just don't think you're going to figure it out. You just play the two if you're double stacking Brady that are going to be the least rostered because in nine regular season games together, they've all averaged literally seven and a half targets per game. Yep. Um, Godwin has one more fantasy point 
than both 16.8 to Evans is 15.8 and Antonio Brown's 15.6 in that span. So there's really no right or wrong answer. You can go great either way. I would just probably lean um, Evans as one of them for sure, just due to roster percentage. That's it. All right, before we get to the last two games, I want to remind everybody about Top Prop Sports. Awesome place to add more competitiveness, more smack talk to your redraft leagues. Go to Top Prop Sports. You import your league, whether it's on CBS, Yahoo, whatever site you're playing on. You invite your league mates. You use you, you enter your email and use the code FTN, and you can play weekly cash prizes against your your league mates in your matchup. So you don't have to wait till the end of the season to win some cash prizes in your redraft league. Really fun way to add more competitiveness to redraft. That's toppropsports.com. Tennessee, Seattle, Daigle. Um, how popular are, are, are the, are Russ and DK and Lockett going to be, especially after last week and especially after watching Tennessee secondary, who everybody knew coming into last week was bad. And now they have to face an offense that should probably actually be able to move the football. Um, I mean, just smash spot. I do wonder how much they'll be rostered, especially DK, uh, when there's no correct answer. Uh, the correct answer is always who is less rostered among these two receivers. I'm going to play them. But Seattle did walk the walk with Shane Waldron, um, yes. ranking second in play action, seventh in no huddle rate, scorching the Colts for 11 yards per attempt through the air and 7.8 yards per play. They literally either threw the ball 20 plus yards downfield or threw at the line of scrimmage, the shallow level. Uh, it was dink and dunk. Like it was dink, then dunk. That's and it was a lot of pre-stat motion too. Like it was absolutely. Like, this is this is what I was. You know, the last two months before the season started, I was saying, you know what? After watching what Russ did in the first half last year, and now they bring in Shane Waldron, I need to just load up on this passing offense just in case because we know Russell Wilson can put MVP type numbers up in the right consistent offense, and I think with Shane Waldron, this very well could be it. It's it's always been that way. So. Yes, that is correct. Um, and for Seattle, that's the thing. We have no worries about their offense against the Titans defense. Uh, you know, everyone, I, you know, Kyler's great, but I think everyone still overreacted to the fact he was playing the Titans defense. Every quarterback who plays them this year is going to look like an MVP. Russ is going to look like an MVP because they are that bad. They don't have any talent at all, especially as Bud Dupree continues mending. Um, and so I expect the Seahawks to carry their own weight. But whether you play... DK or Chris Carson comes down to what the Titans do. And we don't know. You pretty much just have to to ask yourself, do I think the Titans offense is much better than this? And thus uh, we can play them or Seattle because there's actually going to be fighting each other and fighting each other in this game. Again, it's not the Titans stopping the Seattle. They're not going to stop them. It's literally a matter of this is going to be a high scoring affair. Or do you say, no, this Titans offense actually does suck after running uh, the second to last rate of play action only ahead of the Raiders in week one. And also when they ran play action in the first quarter, Ryan Tannehill was walloped by Chandler Jones because Taylor Luan couldn't protect a single soul out there. And so then if that's the case, you play Chris Carson because that's when likely they get Carson involved after he handled 19 of 23 backfield touches, out carried both Rashad Penny and DJ Dallas by a combined 16 to three. And he he ran 19 routes to Penny's four. Um, so even when Penny went out, they used Carson as the third down back, which is tremendous. That gives them like a low end RB one ceiling. And if we think it's a positive game script for them, like Carson is the run back. That's the pivot here. I, I, yeah, I will tell you right now, Chris Carson is probably my favorite GP pl- GPP play this late. Um, everybody's going to go to the passing options on both sides of the ball here. I would think, which I, it's 
especially the Seattle side, like it's great play. But Carson at six one with the usage he had, Rashad Penny's probably not going to play this week anyway. Like I, I absolutely love Chris Carson in tournaments. Um, yeah, the lack of play action for Tennessee was definitely alarming. Um, AJ Brown got there. Julio had a rough game. The the the, the timing and rapport with Tannehill wasn't quite there. He dropped an end zone touchdown. Um, I mean, Derrick Henry, like Henry could be interesting. It's it's like it's to your point though. Like if Tennessee's offense just if there's an actual problem with the offensive line and the change in coordinator, then this could be alarming. But it's very possible that in this game they can just go out and put up 31 and we get like a 35 31 type of game. So I am going to have some exposure to Henry and, you know, run it back with the Seattle pass catchers and then, you know, vice versa with, with AJ Brown, who I I think is pretty underpriced still. Tenhill's the one I'm not sure if I'm going to get to just because like Jalen hurts is right around him in price and he's not too far off the two quarterbacks. We're going to talk about in this last game. Um, But anybody else we haven't talked about from this game, like what do you think of the Tennessee receivers? I mean, genuinely, we don't know. Um, but Julio Jones couldn't even separate in week one. A.J. Mm-hmm. Brown is still very clearly injured. Uh, it just really comes down to, will they be as efficient with Tannehill, or is this finally the regression that's occurring from the past two years when we expected it? Uh, it's, it's, I mentioned the play-action rate stat. It's because it's very important. Tannehill averaged 11 yards per attempt from play-action since going under center, when he's only averaged 7.6 without it. And so to not run it is egregious because that's how he's been very effective when he's genuinely for his entire career, even at Texas A&M, been a below league average, below nation average quarterback. Uh, But actually, Arthur Smith helped unlock him. So is Downing going to see that and unlock him? I genuinely don't know. Um, I just know that this game is very important in either direction we spin it. That way, that's how I know I'm going to play either DK Metcalf if I think the Titans keep up. I may not even run it back. I may just run DK Metcalf or plays Chris Carson um, with Seattle's defense possibly. I don't know which way yet, but I think you need to play but one of them. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I do love Chris Carson. And, I think. And by the way, if you double stack uh, the Titans, that's that's okay too. Like yeah. you're just you're just selling yourself that okay, they're back, no big deal. And I don't mind that at all. I just genuinely don't know. I don't have an answer at all. And that's okay. Like we like we try to always have answers as you know analysts or whatever. But like sometimes we just don't know. Like it, like it's like slate breaking variance. Right, like in the offseason, I would get a lot of questions about like Odell Beckham and Cortland Sutton. Those are two players I literally didn't know what to expect. I literally would just tell people, like, I don't know. I, I have no clue what to expect. So sometimes we just don't know. But if Tennessee's offense can get back on track, that would be great for fantasy, obviously. Yeah. Um, speaking of great for fantasy, let's get to the last game. Dallas at the Chargers, 55.5 point total. Chargers favored by 3.5 at home. Just play everybody. I mean, Justin Herbert was under pressure on just 12% of his dropbacks against Washington's front. And now Dallas comes in without Demarcus Lawrence. So Herbert's stats weren't great in week one, but he looked good. The offense, I think, looked good. And this is just like, this is just a spot where you play Herbert, you play Keenan Allen. Mike Williams' usage in week one was awesome. And then Eckler, maybe you're concerned that they're drawing more designed plays and stuff for Mike Williams because Joe Lombardi talked him up as, you know, the X being very involved in his offenses in the past. And he immediately gets, what, 12 targets? But also, Austin Eckler was missing practices in the week before their game. Still had the the inside the five touches, which we haven't seen from him. So if the targets go back up, it's 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 game over for Eckler. Like this is is this just a game where you just play anybody that you that you can? It's 
Yes, but there's I could I mean this game probably deserves a whole hour. Um, right. There's so much nuance involved because in Dak Prescott's last five full games, he's averaged 52 pass attempts, 418 yards, 30 fantasy points, and a nice 69 percent completion rate. 13 touchdowns, four picks in that time. Having said that, if you go through those five full games, you look back at the box score of Week One last year, and you notice that. That was the only game in this little small stretch that he's had under seven yards per attempt and less than 300 yards. He finished with 260, and that just happened to be against Brandon Staley's defense. So it's a little bit of a little bit of nuance mixed in here. Also, the Cowboys played at their slowest pace of any game since the 2019 season. Uh, ever since they've had Kellen Moore even though they did have the second highest pass play rate in neutral game script. And then Kelly Moore even said on Tuesday that he called 28 runs for the team, but Prescott being the intelligent quarterback, high IQ guy that he is checked out a 12 of them. So they tried to run more. Just Prescott knew that wasn't the best way. He saw the de- defense and went the other way. And By the so way, does that, that, that's got to make you feel even better about Zeke. If you were for some reason worried in the first place. Right. But, but even then I wasn't worried in the first place. Yeah, I you wasn't know, either. Yeah. Tweeting during live games is already the worst. That's my personal hell. <laughs> and so like tweeting during island live games, like that's when, you know, if I go to hell, when I die, that it's just going to be a run on of primetime <laughs> games. And I have to look at the feed like the devil has my eyes pried open because it's all I'm looking at. Uh, Zeke played to your point, 83% of the snaps, his highest number since week five last year, when he initially started being put on the team's injury report with ankle and calf injuries. He also had the team's only running back carry inside the five that he would have scored on, mind you, had Blake Jarwin blocked. Yeah, can we talk about that? Everybody's first reaction was, oh, Zeke doesn't have it anymore. Like, and I think Kellen Moore even came out and said, like, Blake Jarwin just didn't block the guy. Like, he literally just didn't. It's not that he missed the block. He just didn't block him, like, at all. Yeah. Um, and he would have scored the receiving touchdown if the ball was a little bit lower. He'd had to like adjust to it. If he could have just caught that in stride, he would have walked into the end zone. So yeah, if those things happen. Nobody's worried about Z. Still very confident, though, considering he ran 50 routes to Pollard's 13. Yeah, I Pollard, think he ran the most routes among any running back in week one. Pollard did, of course, accrue four targets in those 13 routes. But I think it was just the way, like the plays he was in there for. Um, I think we still see, given this margin like given this difference in routes run that we still see these targets flutter back to Zeke and meanwhile Pollard just had seven touches which is exactly what he averaged in 15 games with Zeke last year when you couldn't use him you literally he was unusable in all 15 games except the one that Zeke was out for and so of course we still have very high hopes for him especially given his salary um, on both sides so he's pretty much a very easy play and then when you go to the other side of the ball uh, Eckler Williams, Allen, all interesting because Justin Herbert was actually asked about throwing the ball to Eckler. And he yeah. said, he said, that's always the plan, his response to throw the ball downfield. And when those reads push everyone else back, that's when you go to your running back to get those yards. But the offensive line had a great time holding me upright. So I had time to make those throws. Rashawn but, Slater, man. Rashawn Slater was clowning Chase Young. It was absurd. Like, yeah. there, like we, we, it was a popular, like, Talking point in the offseason, the Chargers offensive line can take the next step. Like they are taking the next step. They look unreal. Like a 12% pressure rate against the best defensive line. Okay, maybe Tampa Bay is better, but like the top tier defensive line in football, like I'm not concerned about Eckler, but it's also like it's also I don't think it's a coincidence that in his first game with Joe Lombardi after talking him up all offseason, it's 12 targets and he was running way more intermediate. So Mike Williams ADA last year was 15.8 and week one it was 10. Right. And so. We know, given the absence of Demarcus Lawrence, Neville Gallimore, and Randy Gregory, that 
the Cowboys won't reach Justin Herbert. There's no way. There's not going to put any pressure on him. And so that's the thing here. If Eckler not pa- if if Herbert had not passed to Eckler because he had time, of course he's going to have more time in week two. So that leads us to Allen and Mike Williams. But also, if Eckler does get targets, there is no guarantee he takes away from Williams. This is a new scheme. We haven't mm-hmm. seen it yet. So he may take the targets away from Allen too. Uh, so there's just a lot. There's just lots of ways you can play this game. I would just say you have to play this game. Yeah, and it's interesting with Eckler, too, because if he's no longer, and again, it's only week one, but if he's no longer the eight potential upside, eight upside of like eight, nine targets a game, but he's getting all the short yardage work like we saw in week one where, yeah, Larry Roundtree played a decent amount of snaps, but it's, again, I think that had more to do with Eckler missing practice time. If Eckler's getting the inside the five carries, but but that can make up for him losing maybe three or four targets per game um, because like he's too talented of a player to not have a target. We know that's going to happen. He's going to get targets and Dallas is off our defense. They're just not going to be able to stop him. Um, you have to like, I mentioned this, like, I don't really care, but like, like I said, Trayvon Diggs did shadow Mike Evans. I wonder if that was a situation where they viewed Mike Evans as their best receiver or if it was a size thing. Um, he did follow him into the slot where Keenan Allen's going to be more than Mike Williams. So I think that's interesting. A part of this game. Then you have Jared cook who was pretty involved in week one he's relatively cheap on DraftKings under 4k I think they're all in play obviously they're all great plays Herbert is like for like Herbert you can make the case like these are the two best quarterback plays of the slate I think Herbert does whatever he wants in this game and then Dallas right no Michael Gallup he's on IR so it was Gallup and Amari Cooper in two wide sets now it's going to be CeeDee Lamb playing pretty much every snap and we know the target share between him and Cooper is and will be insane but now you can add potential 3,100 Cedric Wilson into the mix, who is going to play in the slot. And he was already kind of inv- he was about as, as involved as somebody can be when you're the fifth option in offense. So now with Gallup out and he's going to play more like he's a viable value play, too. Yeah. And, you know, Cook, for all the reasons you mentioned, Williams, they're they're literally all in play. Um, there's also a possibility. Again, there's just a lot to dig through in this game that without Michael Gallup, maybe they just run more 12 personnel, which is also mm-hmm. good for Zeke, Amari, and CeeDee Lamb. Lamb, of course, who ran every route after Gallup got injured. So maybe it just gets more the target tree more condensed. And so we're just chasing the wrong ancillary guys and really just throw more targets to the guys that matter. Um, Eckler, though, is the one I'm – pretty confident in no matter what i know the targets from last week but also just the fact that he answered the negatives we had about him he was the only running back to handle touches inside the 10 he had four carries and touches inside the five he had two carries also the fact he only played 58 percent of the snaps because yeah. of that injury i'm assuming and uh there's no guarantee he's increases that rate this week but i would like to be ahead of the game he increases the rate so i just think eckler's also a smash play um and I love the passing game, but I kind of just want to play the two running backs and call it a day and then go to another stack. Yeah, I mean, like Zeke's going to be absolute chalk. Um, I don't really care. And and I'm not worried about Eckler. Like I, like I said, like Eckler is going to have five, six target games. And now that they're most likely going to be married to getting the goal line work. It's it's wheels up like Eckler has slate breaking upside in this game. Like you said, I think he does play closer to like 70 percent of the snaps starting this week. Um, so, yeah, it's wheels up for pretty much anybody in this game. The price tags on CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper are very, very nice. Um, Keenan Allen is only like Keenan Allen's price kind of like never moves on DraftKings, even dating back to last year. He's only 7K. Um, just yeah, just play whoever you want in this game. It should yeah. be a lot of fun. Now, now we ha- now we have a uh, 12 full games with Allen with Herbert as well. And Allen's average 12 and a half targets. So like he's still a very, very high floor. Again, there's no, there's no wrong answer here. You just have to be right. Yeah, exactly. 
So it should be fun. Nice way to close out the uh, the main slate. And that'll do it. John Daigle from NBC Sports Edge joining me to break down all 13 games. It was a great, great time. We broke down a lot of great stuff. Uh, Daigle, you plugged some of the waiver wire stuff. Uh, you know, you, I know you're doing a good football show. Uh, I know you're busy this weekend. We talked about that. Um, but just plug what's going on, you know, what you're doing each week. I know it's going to be a ton. You're obviously you have all the news stuff there and uh, all the great stuff at NBC Sports Edge. Now that we're last time I asked you what you're doing for the content, it was off season, but now we're in season. Yeah, now it's too much. Uh, it is a good football show, but also it's called a good football show on iTunes and Spotify. So please go subscribe. We have our weekly preview shows every Wednesday and Thursday. Also at halftime on Monday night, every week you can tune into YouTube and Twitch where we go live immediately to talk about the biggest waiver pickups of the week as that's pretty much the time when I have at least half of the column written. And then the rest of the column comes out Tuesday morning for you to check out updated as well as Tuesday night for high stakes leagues that run waivers on Wednesday night. Um, and then if you're in the redraft stream, you know, FTN guys, obviously, Adam, Derek, and the rest of the, my friends over there do a great job. But also, if you want the Daigle rankings, they're available with a discount, Daigle10 at NBCSportsEdge.com. And uh, you can check it out there by going to the homepage and getting in on the draft guide there. Beautiful, man. Appreciate you coming on. I'm sure we'll talk again. Everybody have a great rest of your Thursday, Friday, whatever. Great weekend. And uh, look, we'll have a ton of great more content at FTN throughout the rest of the week. Thursday Night Football, real quick, Daigle. Giants, Washington, who wins? Oh, God. Um, I have, I mean, I just have the under 42 and a half. I don't have any team. Yeah, well, under 42 and a half and Daniel Jones over 20 and a half rushing. Like that, that's what I'm going to go. Those two I'm going to go Washington 20 to 16. That's fine. It's going to be ugly. It's yeah, going to be it really be. ugly. But it's football. We can't complain. We've been missing it. So it's back in our lives and we sure. cannot complain. Best of luck if you're playing Thursday Night Contest. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. Thanks again to John Daigle. Follow him on Twitter at NotJDaigle for great content. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. Have a good one. See you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Fade the Chalk with Derek and Adam. Make sure to follow your hosts and the podcast on Twitter at DBRO underscore FFB at AP Pfeiffer 24 and at Chalk Fade. Smash that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode.